Tuning in to the 469th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, host Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however, and be listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Whether it be a Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Air Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Per the new usual, we're going to have a great podcast for you guys today. Going to have David Ramil on, host of the Locked On Heat podcast. We talk Kevin Durant potentially going to the Miami Heat. We also talk about the Miami Heat's run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Jimmy Butler and everything Miami Heat NBA basketball. Now, before we get to that conversation with David, I'm going to give my shameless plug. As always, first-time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped, and you click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nighttrick underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane, and you will find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop, which I've been doing top 40 quarterbacks in the NFL. I just did quarterback 17 and 18 today. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't want the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have David Ramil on the show. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw it out on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal, again. Should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have David Ramil with us, host of the Locked on Heat podcast. How you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So the first thing I have to ask you is this. Kevin Durant, chances he ends up in Miami? 10%. Just because there's always a possibility when it comes to Pat Riley and the Heat, but given everything that we've heard and that's been reported regarding what Brooklyn might be looking for and what other teams are capable of providing, it seems like it surpasses whatever Miami's current offer is. So I guess there's always a chance, but it doesn't seem very likely at this point. 
What do you think is the best offer that he could provide for the Nets? Well, there's the best offer, and then there's the offer that wouldn't gut the team completely, and that's the one that includes Bam and Abayo. And so, yes, given that Brooklyn obviously has Ben Simmons on their roster, they need to find a third team to take his contract. But aside from that, let's assume that that part gets done, that Miami would be able to put together some kind of a deal, including Bam, maybe Tyler Hero, maybe Duncan Robinson, a couple of pick swaps, a couple of future first-round picks, things of that sort. So that's that's a really big deal, and I, I think that's the one that Brooklyn is hoping for, which is why that news came out about Boston's reported deal regarding Jalen Brown, etc., because that's kind of stirring the market up and saying, look, we've got other offers that are great out here. If you want to get this done, and we know that Miami and Pat Riley really want Kevin Durant on their roster, it's going to take them sending Bam and Abayo over. And having said that, I just, you know, Bam is such an integral part of what Miami does defensively. He's such a versatile big, etc. And while there are limitations to what he can do offensively, and he's never going to be the scorer that Kevin Durant is, it just also feels like that's too heavy a price to pay. So that's the that's the biggest deal that they could, the, the best package they could offer in exchange for Kevin Durant. There's also the other one, which is just basically Tyler Hero maybe Kyle Lowry, maybe a couple picks, etc. That doesn't seem nearly as good an offer as what Boston has reportedly offered in exchange for Durant. Do you think Bam is untouchable? Like, Because I feel like some people are kind of like, you know, they wouldn't want free Bam because Bam's kind of one of the guys that kind of emphasizes heat culture, obviously. He'll never be the offensive player that Durant is, but I still feel like he still hasn't even maxed out his ceiling as a player. So do you think that's something the Heat would be willing to do? I don't think, I don't think they him as a player that they would trade like I can't even picture a player like it would have to be for somebody of the caliber of like Joel Embiid somebody who was within the same window in terms of age and also just clearly a much better player you know Embiid's an MVP candidate so something along like those lines maybe of a player like him Jokic Giannis etc then all of a sudden you could say you know what will be willing to trade Maranabaya. It's just, it's just that's the reality of who Pat Riley is. Everybody in this roster is touchable at some point. Everybody could be included in a trade. But for now, aside from that, the top five, six players in the NBA, then I don't think anybody, I don't think Bam would be trading for anybody outside of those top six. If push came to shove and it was actually a situation where, let's say, Durant was going to go to Boston and Jalen Brown's in that deal, do you think Pat Riley would be willing to bite the bullet and put Bam in there if push came to shove? No, no, I don't think I don't think so because then you're looking at a complete reset and rebuild because obviously you're not going to be able to compete with Boston or likely. Let's just say likely because that's the whole thing is that Miami's always built on giving themselves an opportunity to capitalize if something goes wrong. Like last year, you know, they had injuries in Philadelphia, and while Philadelphia was Harden and Embiid and that rest of that roster probably on paper is more talented than Miami's group an injury to beat makes them far less effective, and so you put yourself in a position to succeed. So you look at Boston, and you know, with KD on that roster, they would clearly be the most talented, best, most likely team to win the title. But then again, things happen. An injury to Kevin Durant, and all of a sudden, that Boston team is no longer as good as they were even last year because they sacrificed a huge amount of depth in order to acquire Durant. So... They want to be in a position to at least be able to capitalize on any other team's weaknesses, and that doesn't mean 
including Bam and Abayo. So I, I, to me, I, I think they just wouldn't do that at all. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't see I can't see a scenario where they say to themselves, "Yeah, let's go ahead and just blow it up," because you've got you've got Jimmy here. You know, you're going to be paying him for a long time. You've got Kyle Lauer here who came to win a championship, and you've got this young core between Bam, Tyler Hero, and a couple other players that you believe in. And I think they think that they like this team. They'd be willing to improve it if it was a significant improvement that could put them in a real legitimate title contention. But other than that, I think they would prefer just remaining competitive and trying their best season in and season out. So you don't think Durant does that for them? No. Uh, um, well, what do you mean? Durant doesn't do... If they, if they were to do Durant for Hero uh, and Bam, is Miami any better than what they were this year? Which is basically a last-second yeah, shot for making it to the finals. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, because I think, yes, in the short term, you, you probably are a little better in terms of your ceiling being higher because Durant, capable of putting up 50-point games on any night, makes you a better team, and that's the go-to score. With Jimmy there, etc., now you have two superstars that could combine for an explosive offensive output on any given night. And that's fine, but then you sacrifice so much depth, you take so much out of what makes Miami the competitive team that they've been over the last three seasons, and including their depth and Bam Adebayo and you know whatever else it takes to get Durant over there. And I, I don't know. And, and you know, you're also looking at the fact that Durant is so much older and so much more prone to injury at this point that you wonder whether or not he'd be able to play a full 82 game season and still remain competitive and healthy throughout a long playoff run too. So I, I, it's it's hard to say. Uh, I, I think Durant makes that team better in the short term, but also you kind of risk a lot in the long term. And I just don't know that Miami's willing to, to make that sacrifice at this point. Isn't it worth it though if I tell you that they could win a championship? Is one championship worth a, a few down years after? Not to me. I, I, I'm, I'm the very strange you know, media person, fan, etc. That to me, I, I'd rather just cover a team that's fun and competitive than a team that is poised to win a title for one year, etc. Uh, I think Pat Riley might may be willing to pull that trigger because he wants to be able to... He has two goals before he retires. He wants to win one more championship, give Jimmy that ring. And two, he wants to leave Miami in a long-term position to succeed. And I think he has the second part down pat because he's got Bam there, he's got Tyler there. But it's the first part, still trying to combine those, trying to marry the two goals as far as winning today and winning five years from now. Something that's almost impossible to do, and yet that's how that's his goal. And I think he also sees Donovan Mitchell as being that player too. Like, I, I think... Because then you you can win in the short term, you don't have to sacrifice nearly as much, and you certainly don't have to give up Bam and a buyer in order to acquire him. And so you position yourself yourself to win more this season, and also win more five ten years from now because Mitchell is that young superstar that you can build alongside of Bam and a buyer. Where do you think Durant's going to actually end up? I don't think he goes anywhere at this point. I, I really don't. I think you know they're having that reported meeting. Or rumored, anyway. I'm not sure the reports are accurate enough, but he's apparently meeting with the front office and ownership. And I think they're going to tell him, look, this is where the situation is. This is what's going to happen. This is what seems likely to take place. Um, I think they're going to try again to find another taker for Kyrie Irving. I'm not sure how many suitors there are for Irving, but 
given all that, I think that's the priority is to move Kyrie, whatever they can get back for them, for him in exchange, then maybe that's enough to keep Durant's motivated and engaged I, I just I don't think he's lost faith completely in what Brooklyn is doing but it's so hard to tell what what Katie's motivation is at this point like he's, he's one of the best players in NBA history he's one of the top five players in the league right now he's won championships he's carried teams by himself he's done it all and yet I don't know what he continues to play for other than just to show people that he can continue to score at a high level and be an impact player. I, I don't know if he's as motivated to win now at this point in his career as he was 10 years ago because now his legacy is cemented. He's a title holder. He's, he's won the rings. He's done everything he can. He's an MVP. His, his resume is as set as it's going to be. Everything else now is the cherry on top. So I don't know exactly what motivates him. So for now, I think he'd like to win. He'd like to play basketball at a high level, at a competitive level. But I think he also be kind of appeased to and say, you know what, we're kind of building something here in Brooklyn. We want you to be the centerpiece of it. We love you here, and we want to continue to, to build around you for the next few years of your contract before you retire and hopefully bring you a ring in that meantime. And I think that might be enough to keep him in Brooklyn if they're able to move Kyrie. Because I, I don't know that that relationship soured, but it's just hard to, to play alongside either of them because they're both temperamental. They're both kind of volatile in certain ways, and it's just it doesn't necessarily translate to on-court success and harmony in the locker room. And that's the whole thing, too. It's like you're looking at, it's not just 82 games, it's road trips and, and being in the locker room and practices and media sessions and everything else like that. And you, you know, you want to be able to get along with those people, and it's not so easy to do so because you're spending more time with these people than you are your own family members or your loved ones and things of that sort. So I, I just think while they're, their friendship might still be together and they might still be friends at the end of the day, I think it's just become this, gotten to this point where working together is really, really difficult, and I think he just wants Kyrie out somehow. What did you think when Kyrie had on Miami as one of his list of teams in the beginning? wasn't surprised. Uh, he did that a couple of years ago when he wanted out of Cleveland, too. Like uh, I think Boston, Miami, and I want to say the Knicks at that point in time, not the Nets, were on his list of teams that were interesting to him in terms of a, a potential trade partner. So I think there's always been kind of an interest there. Clearly gets along with Bam and Abayo. Very clearly gets along with Jimmy Butler, too. They shared the Olympic experience together. They were friendly with one another. I think there's a strong connection there. Uh, so I wasn't surprised at all in terms of him wanting to play here, but I don't know if it's reciprocated in terms of what Pat Riley wants. You know, I don't know how they. I don't know if he's as committed to basketball as they want you to be in Miami. And, and I think they've eased up to some degree because they've realized now it's a different world than it was 15, 20 years ago when Pat was coaching. You know, they they want you to eat, breathe, and sleep basketball, but that doesn't seem realistic. And a guy like Jimmy Butler is a perfect example of that because you know he he does work hard and, and nobody questions his work ethic. But he also has interests outside of basketball, and that's fine because that gives him, you know, it gives him a chance to kind of escape and get away from it. But for Kyrie, too many questions about how available he'll be, or whether he'll just show up, or well, you know, whether or not he says, you know what, I don't feel like going on a six-game road trip, and that's that's a concern. They want to be able to know that when they go into the quote-unquote trenches, that they can count on you being there alongside them. And I don't think they believe that Kyrie's capable of that at this point in their career. How do you think? Pat Riley would have handled the Kyrie situation in Brooklyn. 
how do you think that would have gone down with Pat? Oh, uh, badly. Worse. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Like, I think Pat, Pat would have tried whatever level of motivation he could have gone to him early on. And, and that's the whole thing. It's like, Pat might be a hard-ass and everything else, but he's also very close to his players. At least he was when he was a coach. You know, he would get to, he would get along with them, ask them about their families, and connect with them. I just don't know that he would find any common ground with Kyrie or any way of motivating him to be the superstar that we all know he's capable of being. And so once that relationship deteriorates and he's just become basically a, not a locker room cancer necessarily, but a distraction that keeps them from focusing on winning and keeping that the focus of your team is Pat's ultimate priority. And so once, once Kyrie becomes that distraction and keeps them from winning, then he would find another alternative. Like he would have to, he would, he would not play him. He would tell him, you know, don't worry about it. You don't, he, you don't want to come back here. We don't want you here. And then he would find another suitor for him as quickly as possible or try to talk to the owner about buying out his contract right away because there's no way he wants him on that team. And I think they would find a way to get it done. Like, he's not going to suffer that kind of foolishness. That's just not who Pat Riley has always been. And, and we've heard stories throughout his whole career about just not putting up with guys no matter how much you might like them on a personal level, if they're not committed to winning, if they're not on board with what they're doing on that team, they don't fit, there's no place for them here. Could you ever have imagined with Eric Spolster to Kyrie trying to run practices after the actual practice? Chances the Heat get Donovan Mitchell. Seen the reports from 
and the Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune that Mitchell is going to sign somewhere else as soon as he can. As soon as his contract winds up, if he's still in Utah, he's gone because he's just he needs to play somewhere else. He wants to play somewhere else. It's not a knock on Utah necessarily, but he's just he's not happy with that team and the changes that they've gone through over the last couple of years. So uh, I think Miami would love again to pair him with Bam and be able to you know rebuild for the future and still win more today and still be strong enough to compete couple seasons from now but uh, it just it does not seem like Danny Age and that front office is willing to trade Mitchell for anything less than they require for Rudy Gobert so that's that's a <laughs> very unlikely possibility so I, if I had to say I would say that I mean again he's likely to become a Nick and much like Durant if, if the Knicks wind up not being able to pull a trade together for him because of the the reports on the uh the tampering and they lose a pick or something along those lines I don't think he comes to Miami either. I think he stays put in Utah until he makes a big enough public stink about it, and then we'll see what happens. If the Heat stand pat, where do you think they rank in terms of the hierarchy of the East? Probably fourth. Um, you know, it's you've got uh, the Bucks. I think are still a clear number one. Um, I think Boston is up there too. Uh, whether or not they pull off the Durant trade, I think they might be. Probably 1A or 1B to, to Milwaukee. I think Philadelphia has improved dramatically. After that, I, I was not a believer in the Hawks last season, and I don't think that the Jante Murray deal is going to make them substantially better either. Like, he's a good player, but I don't know that that's the right team or fit for him. So you look at the other team, Chicago, eh, they're pretty good, but again, you're, you're banking on a, on a lot of growth internally and making some kind of leap and Billy Donovan getting the most of that team and I just don't know how much higher or, or further they can go so Toronto's another group that might be able to pull it all together but I think I, I, I like Miami's combination of Jimmy Butler you know, Bam Adebayo Kyle Lowry engaged in better shape and not dealing with the personal issues that he dealt with last season Tyler Hero motivated you know, getting paid because I think he is going to get that contract extension soon. And having said all that, I think that's on paper, that's a pretty good group. You've got Victor Lodipo on a one-year prove-it deal. you got Tyler back. I think he's going to be a better player than he was even last year when he won six-man of the year. Kyle's going to be back for a full 82-game rotation, and he's going to be healthy. He's going to be able to unlock Bam and Abayo in a different way. They lost a lot in P.J. Tucker, and at the same time, not as much. It's kind of hard to, to kind of wrap your mind around because he was so integral to what they do defensively. And yes, even offensively, he provided a nice outlet, especially that corner three-point shot. So they're going to be missing something, but they can get it back also if, if somebody else in that roster steps up. And that's the expectation is that they're going to get something out of Lowry, they're going to get something more out of Hero, they're going to get something more out of Oladipo, who only played you know 11 games in the regular season last year, not nearly enough. And so having said all that, they like their chances in the East, but it's going to take some small steps to have to kind of fall in place in order for them to be able to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you think the optimized version of Tyler Hero is? That's not much different than what he is now. You know, it's just he's going to be the starter. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, I think I would turn the keys over to the reserve group to Victor Oladipo, who will have something to prove, and he can play a little bit better defense. And again, you know, given Tyler's issues offensively, or defensively rather, you 
put him alongside Kyle, Jimmy, and Bam, all plus-level defenders, and maybe they're not as severe. Maybe he doesn't get targeted as much when you have three other players that can kind of back that up. And, and there was that great piece uh, by Zach Lowe a couple of weeks ago where he talked about how teams around the league are viewing Tyler, and it's, it's kind of a mixed bag because we've seen him perform at a playoff level at a high level, and yet last couple of seasons, not so much. You know, he was shut down by the Milwaukee Bucks because they did a really good job of containing him in the four-game sweep. That this past year, he struggled a little bit, was dealing with injury. He was less effective than they had hoped he would be, and given all that, now nobody's quite sure what to make from him. Is he just an 82-game regular season player, or is he still the guy who can take over games and, and you know become your go-to scorer? I think yes. I think he can be that guy. I think, like Zoblo pointed out, and so many others have, have noticed, like there's limitations to what he can do physically and athletically. And so he just has to continue to grow little by little, take the step in the right direction, become a better playmaker, improve a little bit defensively. As a rebounder, he's a great rebounder, so that's not an issue. And then it's just a matter of leaning into what he can do well as a scorer, and I think you're going to have to see him improve his three-point shooting, not just in terms of percentage, but also in terms of shots per game, and then also just getting to the line more. And that's that's hardly probably the biggest differentiator in terms of where we see a fully unlocked Tyler is that he needs to be strong enough to absorb contact, put his head down, and quit settling for those pull-up jumpers from 10 to 12 feet out because he can't just get through contact because he's not quick enough. And so having said that, he just needs to be strong enough to be able to absorb contact, get the foul call, get the end one situation, and be able to become you know the elite scorer that I think he's capable of becoming. You think he's a guy that could ever average 25 a game? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. I, I, I don't have any... Like, I mean, we're, we're talking about him like he's a finished deal, a finished product. He's only 22, and he just turned 22. And he's already played three NBA seasons. He just won sixth man of the year. Like, he's been phenomenal over the last three seasons of his career. And everybody kind of looks at that second season like a disappointment. In fact, he wound up improving not as much as everybody would have liked or not as much even as the Heat believed. But again, taking into consideration how short amount of time he had between the Orlando bubble and the end of the NBA Finals to the start of the next season, like barely two months. And having said all that, like he still made small improvements here and there. He was also put in a bad position. Like he was starting at point guard when he was not ready for that. He's not a point guard. Um, but yeah, as far as the score is concerned, like I don't think there are any doubts. He just He's going to get those opportunities. Because look, let's say he doesn't start next year, which again, I think that's likely to happen. Then Jimmy's going to miss some games just because Jimmy gets hurt from time to time. Let's say Kyle misses a couple of games. You know, now you have Tyler out there at 22, and he's going to be playing 70-plus games per season, and he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And he's going to be the go-to scorer on that first unit a lot. They're going to see a lot more, I think, shots per game for Bam, but a lot more for Tyler as well. And I think he's going to get those opportunities. And I think he's going to be the guy who, who can he can get it done against the first unit. You know, Charles Barkley's comments notwithstanding, I think there's no concern about whether or not Tyler can get his points against starters or against bench players. So I think he's going to, I think he'd be, he'll be pretty close next year to 25, if not at 25. Like I could see him 23, 24 range and then continue to get better. And everybody who, everybody in the organization, private tutors, coaches, whatever, like you know, shooting skills coaches, they all say that he's at least, a, a couple multi multi year all star like he has that kind of potential to be a star level player. Why do you think he's going to start next year? 
best option. Again, if you're, if you're concerned about his defense being the biggest negative of that, right, then you mask, you cover up that defense problem by putting him alongside Jimmy, Bam, and Kyle because they're great defenders at their positions. And so you don't have to worry about him getting targeted as much the way he did in those secondary units. And now you're, you're, you need to lean into something different. Last year, it was all about defense. You know, PJ was such a great defender, a great versatile defender. Kyle was supposed to be that on, you know, that point of attack defender that they were missing the year before when they had Goran Dragic and Gabe Vincent, and they didn't have much in terms of a defensive perimeter presence. But now you kind of have to shift a little bit. I think you have to lean into finding ways to outscore opponents, not just beat them over the head defensively the way they did last season. And so your best option as a scorer, as a go-to scorer, is definitely Tyler. Like, he's just he's the best scorer on that roster. He doesn't get the ball as much as Jimmy, and he's not nearly... Look, what, what separates Jimmy in the playoffs is that he just... He, whether that shot is falling or not, you know he's going to take 12 shots a game from the line. Like, that's just the reality is that he can put his head down, pull his way into the lane through traffic, and he's going to get the call. Because that's Jimmy Butler. That's who he's been for a long time now. Now, if Tyler's able to incorporate that aspect, I, I think we'll see him, again, take another level as a scorer. And I think he's going to earn it going to put in the work over the offseason, and I think it's just the, it's the better balance in that starting lineup. And then, as far as your bench is concerned, you put it in the hands of Victor Oladipo, who's going to be healthy, and he's going to be playing more than he did last season. If you know what you want in Max Strews. Maybe he'll be the starter as well, but if you put him on the bench, then we'll see. You know, I think it's a good combination of shooting, ball handling, and he has that tenacity to be able to balance out what Oladipo provides. You still want to get something out of Duncan Robinson. You've got Omer Yurtseven and Dwayne Dedman there. I think that's a different kind of feel, different kind of group. You can stagger those opening lineups, the starting lineups, but I think Tyler just he fits better alongside Jimmy Bam and Kyle as a starter. I, I, that's just my feeling. What do you think an optimized version of Bam looks like? Oh, uh, you know, we've already seen pretty close because we, we've seen him have those moments where he's aggressive and looking for the shot. It's just a, a player who is capable of, of putting the ball down, creating his own shot, not waiting for others to set him up as much. Because I think there's certainly that potential there. We've seen it. Uh, I think a mid-range shot at a much more consistent level would certainly unlock a lot of what he could do. And then uh, consider from the defensive perspective, like, you know, if he's docking down that 15 to 18 footer regularly, got to respect that and then all of a sudden that sets up his speed and burst where he's able to get that quick first step past any bigger defender bigger slower defender so i think then he'll get to the rim much more he'll be able to finish at a high level there a lot of pick and roll with him and tyler a lot of pick and roll with him and kyle then you get him at the basket for a few easy looks improve his free throws per game etc defensively he's fine like there's no touching that he is in my opinion the best defender in the nba by far like he's better than Marcus Smart. He's better than Jaron uh, Jackson Jr. He's better than Mikhail Bridges. He's the best defender in the NBA. He just didn't get the award. He didn't get the hardware. So there's nothing to say about his defense. Offensively, he just needs to combine a little bit more of that aggression that everybody's been hoping for with some expanded shooting range that eventually, eventually, not next season, but eventually will start to get out to the three-point range. I, I think that's the whole thing. Is like If you can get him to three, four attempts per game, in two, three seasons from now, I, I think he'll be a dangerous scorer. Like, I mean, he could be another, again, 25 to 30 points per game scorer because he'll have that expanded range and he still has that quickness. As he 
as he continues to age, and again, we're talking about another player who's still just 24, but as he continues to age, he's going to have to find another way of scoring that doesn't rely so much on that burst and quickness because well, he's not going to have that forever. And so he's got to be able to find that more expanded range so that he has something that he can rely on, still keep defenses at bay, and still get his points. So you think Bam's a better defender than a guy like Giannis? Oh, yeah. think the Heat are able to kind of find all these guys and develop them? Uh, a couple different things. I mean, there's the culture, and you know, everybody kind of makes jokes about the hashtag and the, the branding of it and everything else like that, but there's there's a lot that goes into one. There is a definite like family environment there, and, and an honesty and communication, open line of communication, that a lot of teams do not have. Because they only care about the one thing. Like, they want to find out what your interests are, who you are as a person and all that. But if you bust your butt and you try your best and you want to win, they'll love you there forever. Your jersey will hang from the rafters at some point. And that's what matters the most to them. And then, so you've got that culture that's already been there for as long as Pat Riley's been there. And then you have the living embodiment of that still on this roster and Udonis Haslam. And as much crap as he gets for being older and taking a roster spot, he's still working. He's still putting in the grind. He still gets to know these guys. And there's no there, there's no mysticism or magic behind it. He gets to these young players when they first come to the to the roster, they're undrafted, and he lays it out. It's like, look, you want to get paid. You want to get to be a, to, the, to the position where you want to be a player in this league, then you work. And I will show you how. You listen to everything Eric Spolster and everybody else has to say continue to put in the work, you will get paid. And that's a motivator right there. So I think that's part of it. It's that, yes, it all it takes a lot of grit scouting, and they certainly have that, too. But once you get to this roster, once, you, once you're once you a member of the Miami Heat, it's not just about what you're capable of. 
Gabe Vincent. Like they were all very different players before they joined the Miami Heat organization, and they've all put in the work to get to that next level. How much longer do you think Udonis Asim is going to play? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm starting to have serious doubts about next season. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 I talked to him before uh, about a month ago, and I think he's kind of leaning towards maybe not coming back. Like, I, I think he wants to and doesn't at the same time, and I think he's going to be like one of those last-second decisions because, you know, he's older, obviously. And yes, he wants that 20th season. That means a lot. That's a, a benchmark that, that he can kind of you know, continue to be proud of, et cetera. But I think you know he has so many off-the-court interests uh, that I wonder whether or not he just wants to continue to focus on those moving forward. He's ready to call it quits. Like last year kind of feels like Miami was in the best position to be able to get to another ring. Because I think if they had managed to get past Boston in the finals, in the Eastern Conference finals, they probably could have handled Golden State a little bit better than the Celtics did. Just by virtue of the coaching and everything else, I think they would have been able to make those adjustments that Boston wasn't quite capable of. And I never, I can't count Jimmy out. So, like, the version of Jimmy that we saw throughout the playoffs, I think we would have seen an even better version of him in the finals because that's, and yeah, again, that's a good chance to get a ring. Um, so, I think, you know, I don't know what Udonis is still a part of it for at this point because he, he might not win a ring. He wants to continue to mentor guys, and he wants to continue to explore his off-the-court interest. But having said all that, you know, he's older, and he might just want to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to call it quits. I've had a heck of a career, and we'll see where, where this next chapter takes me. Is he going to be a coach eventually? Or, or no, because when you say off-the-court interest, it sounds like when he's done, he might just be done. No, I, he's not a coach. He's not a coaching guy. Like he, He's just... He, he, he loves being there. What he loves is the work. Like, he's brainwashed, you know. He, he's, he said it before. He, he, he's just been, he's bought into this so long. that he, what he just likes is to go there at 7 in the morning, get a good sweat, get in there, talk about it with the guys, grind it out, you know, just continue to put in the work day in and day out. So, as a coach, you lose that, that kind of power that you have as a player, which is why he can't just make that transition. Everybody's just calling him as a coach, but it's like, you're wearing the whistle. You're wearing a different uniform. You don't have that same kind of respect with, as the, from the guys in the locker room. You know, as as a player, he still has that power and influence. But if he steps away and becomes a coach, he loses that. So I don't think he wants to do that. I, I mean, I could see him like coaching maybe high school down the road at some point, just because he wants to still be in the game and he still wants to young, you know, mentor these young players. But no, not not at the professional level. Uh, he'll do something with the front office. And, Maybe he'll be like a, a, an ambassador of some kind for the team or something like that, but I can't. I don't see him ever wearing a whistle. So let's go back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Jimmy went through a little rut. Uh, kind of what was like that? Were you like he's hurt? Were you like he's just not playing well? What were you thinking at that time? I think it was just a matter of injury. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I don't think it was anything. Like there were shots there. He had been so good against the Hawks, so good against the Sixers. And then you see him kind of just crumple against the Celtics. And the Celtics, really good defensively. I'm not taking anything away from them. But we saw the versions of he was when he was healthy, able to play through that injury. And he was unstoppable. Like, there was nothing that they were capable of doing to stop him. And so I think the version that was clearly limited was because of injury, not necessarily anything that Boston was doing defensively. And so that's what, you know, that made it so difficult 
to watch because you know that if he's healthy, he's probably got another 35, 40-point outing in him. And that's enough to kind of take one of those two games that they lost in between there, and then maybe you don't have to go to a game seven. Maybe you could have just put them, put them, put them, you know, get past them in game six and be able to move on. But you know, that's it's over now. It doesn't even matter. But uh, I think they've all moved on from it. It's hard to say exactly, but yeah, I, I think in those games where he struggled, it was mostly due to injury, if not completely. So then in game six. And this is the, the craziest thing ever. Then he, he drops like 47. He's just like the yeah. best player on the court. How shocked were you that like he goes through that stretch where he's not playing well, doesn't seem like he just doesn't have it for whatever reason, and then he like that happens? Uh, not that shocked. Uh, I, I mean, I, I remember talking, and I got a lot of grief for it from uh, you know, Celtics fans about it, but you know, I, I talked to uh, Locked On Celtics host John Corrales, and you know, as much as we all try to be unbiased media members. You cover a team for a certain amount of time, and that kind of goes out the window. But he was, you know, before our, our Eastern Conference Finals preview, he's talking about the Heat roster. He's like, yeah, they're a really good team, but, you know, Jimmy Butler is, what, the third best player on the floor? And I'm like, third best player? Like, he completely just disregarded everything that Jimmy's been able to accomplish over the course of his career because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had better individual seasons. Oh, he's much better than Jalen. He's much better than Jalen. Jason, I think Jason's probably a little bit better, but he's much better than Jalen Brown. They're they're in two different tiers, in my opinion. That's fair. That's I mean that's fair. And, and look, I think if we saw, if you look at the series, the MVP of the series in general, whether they lost or not, was Jimmy Butler. Like he was the best individual player in that series. Uh, and I don't think there's any arguing that, despite the last the couple of games where he struggled. So, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's basically where it is. I, it just, I think he's, he's capable of, of having those moments when he recognizes that they're necessary. Like, he, he is, and I've said this before, it's him and LeBron James, and I'm talking even a, a younger LeBron James, like, players that were capable of kind of reading the game and saying, I need to be more passive and just make plays for others, or I need to be aggressive from the get-go, and I have the ability to do so. I think Jimmy's right up there with him. Like, he is just, he's that good. I, I, I didn't know he was this good when he came to Miami. But after what I saw over the last three seasons, which makes makes that second season when they got swept by the Bucks all the more surprising, that's the surprise, is that they just, that Jimmy had nothing left to give against the Bucks. And I think a lot of that was exhaustion, fatigue, uh, a, a bad roster in general, and, and, and just, you know, took him out of completely compared to what we saw in the Orlando bubble from him and compared to what we saw from him last season in the playoffs, like, I mean, that's that's a special player right there. Yeah, and then he plays every minute of Game 7, and I'm yeah. just like, oh, my God. And it's just, it's just crazy. I think sometimes we all talk about injury and, like, we realize, like, these are some of the best athletes in the world and what, like, the body can physically do. It's like, you're not feeling well, and it's like, well, I guess I just got to do it. <laughs> like, and he did it. Yep. Incredible. Uh Again, I, I think he recognized what was necessary of him. And I, I bet you it was probably a little bit of, we need him out there from Eric Spolster's perspective. And from Jimmy's perspective, don't you dare take me out. Like, I, I need to be in there for every second. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, look, the comeback fell short at the end there. Uh, but still an incredible, impressive effort from him. There was a lot of, you know, they were dealing with a lot. I mean, and, look, I know Celtics fans will point out Tatum had a minor injury. 
you know, uh, Robert Williams had an injury. They were dealing with their own thing, Marcus Smart, etc. They were dealing with injury as well. But I think Miami, not having Kyle Lowry be as effective, certainly not having Tyler Hero be a factor, you know, that, that, that took a lot of what made them the number one team in the Eastern Conference during the regular season. It took a lot of that identity away from them. And so it, just, it fell on Jimmy's shoulders to be able to have to do more and ultimately, unfortunately, he fell short. Did you think his jump shot was short when it came out? Yes. I, I did not. I mean, it, it was a miraculous shot. Like, I, I, he's just not that shooter, right? Like, I, I mean, you never want to bet against him, but it kind of felt a little rushed at the moment. In the, in the, at the time when it happened, I was like, why, why, why? I thought he was going to be able to drive past Horford. But then you watch it on replay. Orford was in position to recover. Jimmy probably gets around him for the easy two. But you've got Jalen Brown coming around the wing, too. He probably could have gotten a block. It would have just been, that was the best shot. Like, it really was. At, at the moment, again, watching it, it's like, that feels rushed. Why are you doing this? You have so much time left. Why are you taking that shot? Especially when you're a you know, 20-something percent shooter for the regular season. But then you look at it later on. One, he, he's absolutely right. Like, he wanted... He wanted to win the game, and he's earned a right to do so. And then on top of all that, it was also the right shot to take because Horford was going to be able to close that ground. Jalen Brown was coming. Nobody else from Miami's side was there. It was just Jimmy going one-on-two with limited time and having to take take that shot because there was no other opportunity for him. So, you know, if he could have circled back around, wasted more time off the clock, maybe – but in hindsight, like that's the kind of realization you have after the fact. In the moment, he did the he did the right thing. He made the right smart basketball move. Yeah, and I also think you know the longer that game goes on, it really favors the Celtics. To be honest, if, if because if it ties and it goes into overtime, I think that favors the Celtics, even though the Heat are at home. Uh, so I think it's better for that point for them just to go for the kill shot right there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, because you're right. I mean, at home, maybe you feel like you have some kind of advantage. And then they've gone on this big, long run, too. Like, you know, they had that, those couple big shots from Max Struess, and they were able to close the gap over the last couple of minutes of play. I don't know if that's sustainable if you go into overtime, too. So Yeah, the Celtics uh, regroup yeah. a little bit, because it looked like in that, those last two, three minutes, by God, without Ime Yudoka to bail those guys out, they just all lost their minds. <laughs> so it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> like, that was crazy. It's like, I've never seen somebody almost piss away a... <laughs> chances of the finals it evaporated like that and I'm like wow so I mean I think it was probably better they can regroup a little bit at overtime I think it was probably better for them to take that shot uh and if you win you're the hero and you go on but I don't think in overtime everybody was banged up too I think it you got to go for it yeah that's a good point point. last question for you why do you think Miami is such a destination Franchises 
always go through so much turmoil in terms of front office shakeups. You've got your general manager, they get fired after a couple seasons. You get your coach fired after one or two seasons. Think about the number of coaches that just come in and out of these bad teams. Like every year, it seems like they're finding a new coach. And that's a whole new identity, a whole new process, a whole new voice. And then you look at what Miami has, and it's just stability. From day one in 1995, when Pat Riley took over, this has been a revamped culture, franchise, whatever. And yes, they haven't won all the time. They've had bad seasons mixed in there, but the consistency of their winning ways, I think, speaks to what kind the, the strength and integrity of that culture, the open lines of communication, and things of that sort. So when you're a player... I mean, players talk about it all this time. Like, yeah, you can want more money. Yeah, you can want to win. But you, when it comes to your relationship with the coach in the front office, you just want to know where you stand. Tell me I suck. Tell me I'm not going to play. Tell me you're looking to trade me. Tell me the truth. And that's something that you get in Miami that you usually don't get elsewhere because, you know, you get coaches that are trying to protect their jobs or you've got a general manager that's kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, in a backroom deal or on the slide, et cetera, it, it, the lines of communication aren't as open. And so when you look at what Miami does and has historically done over the last 27 seasons of Pat Riley's career, it, that's what makes it the destination. The culture has become a joke in terms of its branding, but the stability and integrity of the front office and the entire organization is absolutely there. And I think that's what makes players go, you know what, I want to be a part of this. I know I'm going to win. I know they're going to get the most out of me. I know they're going to help me unlock a part of my game that has not been there before. And if you're looking to get paid, Miami's a place to go and do that because that's also another part of what they've done historically is that you can be a backup point guard, and if you're, you get that opportunity in Miami, if you buy into what they're doing, you're going to get that contract. You know, Whether it's from the Heat or somewhere else, you're going to find a way to, to continue to improve your game and improve your bank account. So I think that's a, a big part of what makes it such an appealing destination to other players. David, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, always happy to jump on and uh, always happy to talk to you basketball. And once again, I want to thank David Ramil for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 469th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. She said she drew your